I'm mischievous Mark Giannacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, Amazing Fantasy 15, and all of those Amazing Spider-Man annuals, which I still say do not count. And I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which I say definitely count towards a collection of Amazing Spider-Man. But for me, Amazing Fantasy, a different series, especially number 15, Remains of Fantasy. Well, welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. Thanks for joining us for this review of the Amazing Spider Talk. You left me speechless there, Dan. If you want to swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. You can also uh, check out our Substack, Dan, at amazingspider.substack.com, where you can get all nice goodies of different comic book extensions of the podcast, basically. I mean, it's, it's, it's just where it's at, man. As to that podcast and the Substack, they both exist because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep our podcast and Substack and everything else we do going, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and consider joining our Patreon. There's a big button that says Patreon. I mean, it couldn't be simpler than that. AmazingSpiderTalk.com, a single click, and boom, you're there. Speaking of simple, let's get into our discussion of the the issue. I say simple because we are simple-minded folks. Today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 6, Number 38. This issue was is written by Zeb Wells. The cover artwork is by Ed McGinnis and Marcio Menez. The cover artwork is by Ed McGinnis and Marcio Menez. And the interior artwork is also by Ed McGinnis and Emilio Lizo. Inks by Mark Farmer, Wade Von Grawbadger, and Ed McGinnis. With colors by Marcio Menez and Eric Arsenega. And of course, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on November 22nd, 2023, right before Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. I had to kind of rush out and get it today before the recording. Here we are, Mark. So why don't you give us our rec wrap recap of all the things that happened in this issue? Well, we open with a record scratch. Yep, that's Spider-Man, hand sticking out of the mouth of Madeline Pryor's Demon Collector. Another important note, said mouth and throat is currently tightening around him, and folks, I really don't want to think through all of this. 
Hey, don't forget to do your Kegel exercises, everyone. Oh, yeah, do the do the little thigh master stuff. Anyway, Spidey goes all the way down the chute and comes upon Wreckrap in the midst of rehashing his storytime adventure to his rogues gallery. And boy, those guys are as sick of Wreckrap as apparently everyone else is, right? Apparently, time moves differently down in the belly of the beast. And let's just hope MJ doesn't cuck Peter again for someone else. Am I right, Dan? Oh, <laughs> uh, it's funny that you point out how often he's returning to this specific plot thread. Yes. Anyway, so to show that there is this new passage of time, we cut back and forth between the repossessor getting ready to do some bodily harm to Randy Robertson and Spidey and Wreckrap climbing up the digestive track of the monster. Days pass in the monster while it's merely seconds in the 616, though reading the phrase, Kawachuga baby choo-choo may have taken years off of my life. Just <laughs> as the repossessor is ready to strike Randy, Spidey and Wreck-Rap pop their heads out of the monster's mouth. For them, it is seven days later, and they had to stick their heads. <laughs> well, Spider-Man doesn't want to talk about it. Right on, Spidey. Spidey goes to rescue Randy as the repossessor is readying to strike again. Randy shouts, look out, just for kicks and to annoy Dan. And it is at that moment when Peter finally realizes what Dan has been screaming about for weeks now, that Repo is actually the debt collector guy, Gus, from earlier in the run. Great sleuthing, Dan. Now tell us more about who MJ and Paul's kids are. (laughs) I kid, I kid. Apparently, the guy has been torturing and murdering people in his attic this whole time. Waka waka. Maybe he should team up with the monster in the basement of the hospital from the Beyond Era. They could be a supervillain team called Normal Guys Who Turn Out to Be Inexplicably Monsters of Spider-Man. I, that, that. That title's great. It's I love it. Anyway. Sp- Rolls right off the tongue. Totally. Yeah. Spider-Man defeats the repossessor by web-zipping the evil guy's face into his own mouth. And the sooner we get away from all of his climbing in and out of other people's mouths, the better, I say. That brings us to the obligatory Madeline Pryor mea culpa to rec rap. Ultimately, Repo gets punished for his extracurricular activities. And Rec Rap gets a parade! Yay! Yay! But the comic doesn't end there, true believers, because we've got a major Spider-Man event starting next week. Randy is at Gracie Mansion chatting up Mayor Luke Cage, and he is stirring up the pot about that Wilson Fisk no more vigilante justice rule. That sends our viewpoint over to Hammerhead, who instructs his goons to set up Mr. Negative by planting one of the inner demon masks at a crime scene. The next day, Hammerhead makes a play at turning all of the gang bosses against each other, manipulating them one at a time, while keeping his own flat top out of trouble. Oh, that that diabolical Hammerhead. Meanwhile, in Harlem, Janice Lincoln is with her comatose father. When Randy walks into the hospital room, Janice is not happy about Randy's ongoing defense of the super cops, and that lends to a rather awkward exit by her. Finally, we are at Magia Central, where Silvermane and Count Nefaria are plotting when all of a sudden Silvermane loses control of his robotic body and starts attacking Nefaria. I hate when that happens, especially when you're 80 years old, right, Dan? Anyway, then he attacks himself and rips off his own head when we see a purple boot step into frame and Silvermane gives a knowing you exclamation. And that leads us to our next mystery box, Dan. I can't wait to spend way too much time hearing you speculate about the owner of that boot. And that is our recap. 
Mark, I will definitely get into my thoughts on the owner of that boot. But uh, to start us off on our discussion, I want to know if you thought that with this final issue of the Wreck Rap adventure that we've been on, the story managed to justify itself as an enjoyable side adventure before said proper gang war kicks off next week. What did you think? Did, did it win you over? Sort of. I don't know. I mean, look, I, I get that. There's a lot of things in play with gang war coming up. I mean, they, they got to give sweet John Ramita Jr. some time to, you know, get the book together and stuff like that. I'm sure Zeb has been plotting things. We got all these tie in issues. So, like, I understand why they needed to kind of have this interlude here. I mean, is this the story that's going to move the needle? Uh, No. Um, Was it a total waste of time? Not totally. Uh, I I mean, like it's, it was enjoyable in a very irreverent way, but like, you know, and I do appreciate how they tied in the gang war kind of glimpses. Although I feel like, you know, in, in, infamous mark terms in this issue and even acknowledged so it was attached with a rivet gun at the end i mean literally it was, <laughs> yeah i mean guys this is where it comes from this is this is the rivet gun effect in, in full force <laughs> literally tacked it on anyway so i i i have very unemotional responses to the storyline i mean it was fine i understood why they had to do it would I have chosen to do three issues of Rack Rap and Madeline Pryor and this Repo Demon? Probably not. But was it bad? No, it was. They were objectively fine comics. <laughs> this is the definition of filler, and, and and frankly, like Ed McGinnis's work on the title is kind of like all of the issues you would remove if Amazing Spider-Man was a monthly comic. You know, like uh, otherwise we'd have a pretty and I think it would honestly it would be a better series, which isn't to say I didn't like these issues. I think they are also quite fun. Like they are a palate cleanser. They are a pause from the main action and really from the action prior. Like this story has almost nothing to do with the previous one that we got, it is, Mark said, attached with a rivet gun within the pages of the story, the things that are connected together, and the story itself. Like, in the longer run, these are the ones you skip. Which isn't to say, like, there's it's not a good time. Like I said, Rec Rap, I, I think here, won me back over. Whereas last issue, I felt like we were rehashing jokes. Yeah, I guess we are here too. But I found myself smiling and laughing just as much as I did in his introductory story and in the first uh, issue of this minor story. And I, I kind of like the setting of here, uh, this one a little bit more, you know, we, we are seeing new crazy things for Ed McGinnis to draw. And at least on that level, I was like visually engaged and the stories are all brought to a close and uh, we can talk about how effective that is. But at the very least, like I was like, okay, This may be, and I'll say, I think Ed and Zeb are the weakest creative pairing with Zeb on this run, but issues like this are where ones where I can laugh and see something visually exciting and I can see what the appeal of Ed McGinnis is ostensibly, even if I don't necessarily think his work fits in this title particularly well. 
I get what, what you're saying. I mean, if I if I was to offer any pushback and look, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to know like the schedules and the pacing that these guys need to work at professionally here. So like this is just this is the sheer talking off the top of my head here. But like, could we have accomplished an interlude like this with something of kind of the quality and tone of what we got with Patrick Gleason and the Craven story rather than this? And And that, you know, and like you even frankly have another kind of element baked into the fact that because Spider-Man is, you know, distracted with, you know, the sins of Norman Osborn that, you know, that's allowing all of the gangs to kind of assemble and cause havoc. And then he gets out of it and, and voila, there's a gang war. Again, I don't know why they needed another three issues on top of that. I'm sure there are some scheduling things going on. Like I said, John Romita Jr. is one of the, you know, one of the best in the biz. And if they want him to do gang war, there's a reason why he needed to do it when he did it. So like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna totally dwell on that, but like, it's just like, I would also argue that we kind of got this palate cleanser with the Doc Ock story. And we talked about that at the time. And it, that's, that was kind of the obligatory Ed McGinnis silly issue, uh, you know, and, and at least with that, like, I don't know, I feel like, Doc Ock kind of getting, you know, his octoids and learning to do stuff there. Like it, it, it's still moving certain pieces forward on the board here. This this feels very self-contained, this being the rec rap story, very self-contained. I mean, you know, we we got more rec rap, you know, after many threats that that was gonna happen. I mean, you know, we kind of you know revisited the world of Madeline Pryor again, although I don't know if anyone was necessarily asking for that. You know, the repossessor, I would think for all intents and purposes is kind of, you know, has come and gone as a Spider-Man villain. So, like, I I don't know what we're going to get beyond that with this story. So, uh, you know, like, it's I'm not trying to criticize, like, overly criticize this. But, like, you know, in retrospect, it's like, did we really need three issues of this? I, I, you know, like... I, I enjoyed this more than the last issue. I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as the first issue. It just because like I just also at the same time felt like we were just kind of overdoing this whole thing here. So, I mean, if 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 the reason for three issues was because they had some kind of schedule they had to keep or whatever, like let's not forget next week we have Amazing Spider-Man Gang War First Strike number one which is a not proper issue of Amazing Spider-Man. Now, I don't know the focus of that issue. Like, when they, will it be just about the gangs and maybe Peter's not even in it and therefore they felt uncomfortable calling it Amazing Spider-Man? Uh, I, I don't know. I've not looked at any previews or, or you know, we're st- it hasn't come out yet, obviously. I don't know. But, like, you could shave an issue off of this and call that one a proper issue of Amazing Spider-Man given that it seems like it's something you're going to want to read to keep up with it, the gang war story, and we're going to cover it on the show like it's a proper issue of Amazing Spider-Man, which maybe is a mistake on our part, but it does seem we'll find out. more <laughs> It does seem more important than, say, Amazing Spider-Man Ends of the Earth one-shot, which uh, you teased over me for a long time, especially in the way that they're advertising this one. So I yeah I don't know I don't think you could really like blame it on pacing entirely, given that some weeks we have three weeks between books, and now we have like literally one week one week you know and 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 title 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 so you know these things change and ebb and flow and I don't know what's going on in the spider office. What I'm really curious about you know and the more we get work with Ed McGinnis I feel like I'm always reassessing 
the guy and his role like that in the auto story we're like okay ed's winning me over and here i i still think his art is gorgeous and you know the tone stuff it it's so locked to ed i do wonder if maybe they have a more kind of marvel style working relationship because even just reading this one the pacing feels so different than the what i would call the more tightly paced stuff of Ed's other or not Ed Zeb's other issues like you know say what you will about Zeb's run and people like it don't like it or feel right down the middle about it I feel like all the non Ed McGinnis stuff is really tightly plotted and I just thought that this three issue series was a little all over the place and didn't really know what to do with its middle chapter in a way that I'm not used to from Zeb and you know, a artist who's getting to draw big splashy images, who's maybe given dictation over the plotting, I think can result in books being like that. We've seen a lot of art artist driven titles like, you know, paced like this or, you know, where the ending is rushed or whatever. So that's just my curiosity, although I would imagine that would be listed on the credits page if Ed had a stronger hand in plotting. But uh, I don't know. Does, does it am I going in a direction that sounds familiar to you? Like, are, no, did you I, recognize I, I would, that? Yeah. I would agree with that. I think like, you know, if you go back at some of the major arcs that McGinnis has worked on, you know, Dark Web and, and the Doc Ock arc, I mean, all of them, you know, it's not like Zeb is going from this tightly plotted book to being Bendis and and, and, and like, you know, but like at the same time, there there are definitely I feel like you can find sequences in certainly each arc and maybe in each individual issue where it's just like things. It just feels like a particular scene or beat is just being dragged out too long because McGinnis needs to McGinnis it. You know what I mean? Like it's like, oh, he needs to get really wild with talking uh, hamburgers and, uh, you know, uh, or, 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 you know, it's the digestive track of the repo monster and like, you know, or Otto's octoids and, or, you know, the arms taking over Jonah, like every scene just like, and they're, they're, you know, in a vacuum, they're very attractive looking pages. So you're almost like, Oh, all right. That's kind of cool. You know, like I don't mind it because it's attractive art to look at and it's fun. It's fun art to look at. But at the same time, like, yeah, it, it, it feels like, you know, the 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 rhythm and the chemistry that you see with Ramita and Gleason on those storylines, it's just not there with with McGinnis in, in, in terms of how the book kind of moves at a consistent tempo from page to page. So I, I think you're spot on with that. I don't know if it's Marvel style versus some other style, but there, there, there's clearly just not a full link or connection or chemistry thing going on between Wells and McGinnis. Not not like terrible, but like just enough to, to throw the pace off a little bit. I just think the style of the jokes are different. Like the jokes in, in these books, and, and I'm not even talking about like uh, the tone. I'm talking about like how a joke is delivered. In these books, the jokes are often like Spider-Man observing something like here's a crazy meat train, you know, or we're having a tickle fight with these things in the esophagus of or make sure you always climb the esophagus or whatever it is. Like it's always an observational joke, whereas like I think back to like Gleason, like a tighter, you know, crafted, you know, uh, written issue like the first of the. Spidey's last hunt where you have like the vermin image and then the fist and then 
the vermin face again with his teeth all punched out. That's like a setup punchline, quite literally in that case. Whereas I don't think there are many punchlines here. It's a lot of like what reads to me like a writer getting art pages and going, what funny things can I have them say? And it just feels very different to me, which again, like I think rec rap is still funny, but it, it just feels different to me than what we've gotten before. You know, you mentioned the second half of this is a rivet gun <laughs> inclusion, and we'll talk about more details there. You know, I kind of liked this approach to like bringing in gang war into this book. I mean, it is like literally here's the end of the rec rap story. Now let's go to this. But I can see why there might have been an appeal to like do it this way, which is to say Spider-Man is not an active you know, member of that ongoing story. And it does kind of tell its own adjacent story. Like we start off with Hammerhead, you know, working for Silvermane. And by the end of this issue, you know, at the beginning of the record story, but by the end of this issue, we've seen Silvermane destroyed Hammerhead ascendant and manipulating everybody. It's actually worked as a solid little mini story to set up gang war. And it, it actually has really worked for me, at least in regards to exciting me about what's, what's to come. How, how about you? I have not minded how gang war has been interjected. In fact, I think up until this issue specifically, I, I really liked how we had these check-ins. I thought, you know, it was kind of, you know, we used to talk about in past runs, like the, the, the check-ins with Jonah or the check-ins with May. And, you know, when, when we needed to kind of move those plot lines along and, and I feel like this was equivalent to that. I mean, yes, it's not, Peter was not at the focal point, so we didn't want to like dwell too long on it. I mean, I was just, I was making the river gun comment in this case. I mean, you know, I mean, the comic itself acknowledges like, we're just changing tones now, guys. So, you know, like, cause it, you know, like, Frankly, I was kind of like as I was reading this issue, um, I didn't get your I didn't get my copy quite as late in the cycle as you did. But I, I, I got it uh, the Friday after Thanksgiving. So I'm like, you know, reading it kind of, you know, post holiday uh, food coma. And I'm, I, I and I'm getting to the conclusion of the of the rec rap story. And I'm just like, hey, like gang war starting next week where's our check-in and then it was like oh it's all afterwards and it was just like all right i i like like i don't know like i don't know if it does it truly make a difference if those pages are in the middle of a story versus at the end of a story and i also get like you know they were trying to establish this kind of tension and pacing with oh you know they're they're inside this demon and meanwhile the demon is stalking randy so like you know we have to kind of we didn't want to break from that too much although maybe that could have been an effective breakaway but then like but we needed to have randy out of it because randy was pivotal to the things moving so i either way it just felt very perfunctory at the end versus i feel like in the previous issues it was integrated more tightly into the overall story to your point, we needed to necessarily co-op an entire issue of ASM to do it. But like, you know, I, I, that that's that's just really where the form kind of comes from here. It's not it's not that I dislike the form throughout this whole last few issues. It was just this one. I was kind of like, oh, all right. It's it's just there. Well, I mean, t- to the staying power of the rec rap story, Randy is the best 
lens through which to view it, which is, hey, I was almost murdered in an attic by a serial killing monster. And now I'm out picketing, uh, you know, superheroes. And I think Wells tries to like thread that needle a little bit by saying like, hey, I was just have Randy say like I was just saved by a superhero. And so therefore, like I'm seeing additional need for them. But it is it is truly absurd. Like this is not the realm of Amazing Spider-Man where a character getting abducted in that way would be a ongoing plot and he would have to recover from it. Like the rec rap story is truly like its own separate thing. So speaking of which you acknowledged, I thought was a really funny moment where there's the acknowledgement of a more somber tone for gang war. If only because like it, it, it acknowledged what we all felt reading the comic and you don't get an award for pointing out that you're maybe not doing the best job <laughs> of something. But it, but it did make me chuckle. Okay, we're sending Rec Rap uh, off into the great beyond, the undying lands, you know, of Limbo's Limbo, or I guess he's just in Limbo now. And, you know, at the end of the issue, you see his name on the billboard, Rec Rap, everybody's celebrating him, and there's a little spidey face that's a period down there. And my read of that is, this is the end of Rec Rap's story. Like, we put a period there because it's not an ellipsis, it's... We know we had our fun and this will be all we ever see of Rec Rap. So putting a bow on Rec Rap, what do you think of his role in this issue? Did he make you laugh? Tell me. Oh, tell of course me. he did. Yeah. I mean, he made me laugh. I enjoyed it. I I I remain skeptical that this is truly the end of Rec Rap. I feel like I I I I I I I hold I reserve the whole judgment on that just because I, you know, I I, I just don't I just don't think there's a joke that this particular spider office doesn't like to beat dead into the ground sometimes. <laughs> I just, you know, fair, like, fair enough. I, I, I mean, you know, prove me wrong. <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> it's it certainly, I, I shouldn't say it's, it's not that it's a hum, a kind of humor that we're not used to seeing. I mean, it's, we were talking off air about this kind of being like spider ham and you can, you can certainly make that case that it's very spider hamish in terms of the humor. It's also like it's kind of like when Spider-Man teams up with Deadpool, you know, or like when when Chip Zdarsky gets to go like really cuckoo crazy with Spider-Man. Like we have seen variations of this kind of humor before in different contexts. I think the fact that the context here is it's this crazy demonic but, ben- you know, benevolent demon uh, character saying these things and like. I am a sucker personally for kind of like the the fish out of water sense of humor. You know, like so much of Rec Rack's humor is his inability to understand what is actually happening. You know, when like when Spider-Man, you know, yells at Randy like that. And he's like, oh, that's the, you know, it's the battle cry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or, or what was it? The battle cry? Or what does he say? It's like a, a like he's, a, you're, he's t- it's time for a Spider-Man like, uh, like catchphrase. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Randy, uh, yeah. you know, like, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> those kinds of jokes where it's just like showing a lack of understanding for what's actually happening. I'm a sucker for it. And, and like they, Zeb and Ed or whoever else is truly involved in in the craft of those jokes 
uh, hits it out of the park every time with Rec Rap when it comes to those kind of jokes. That is my specific taste in humor, which I know not everyone shares. I'm sure there are some people who are like, I am so tired of like Rec Rap basically being an idiot and that being funny. And it's like, yeah, but it's not that he's an idiot. He just doesn't understand and whatever. Yeah, that, that, that you hit the nail on the head. It's all about him having like a like medium level of understanding of Spider-Man. Like the, the giant flies to eat is a great example. You know, like, of course, Spider-Man would eat giant flies. He's a man-sized spider, except he's not. The Randy got a genuine like laugh out loud reaction from me when reading the comic. Just the the timing of it was like the just like it, that it was a page later. Where he comes in uh, made made me made me laugh. Yeah, I was to say I also appreciated all of the meta jokes here. I mean, like you know, we've we've been joking since day one. Like Rec Rap is overstaying his welcome. I know there there are plenty of people on the internet that are like, "What the hell is Marvel doing with this?" And this book is just filled with like everyone being like, "Stop telling your stories," or like like you know, the monsters are crying except they're out of tears because they're tired of hearing from him. I mean, you know, like it's. We all just acknowledge that Rec Rap is annoying. He's weird. Uh, he has a very base level understanding of things, and that gets him into trouble. And it's 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 benevolent. It's fine. It's 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 candy candy coated comics, man. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> no, that's it. And like you said, if if this is not your thing, I imagine these issues were quite painful. And <laughs> co- comedy is one of those things that's really hard. I mean, when I used to be a professional film critic and had to write about comedies. I kind of dreaded it because I know I have a very offbeat sense of humor that doesn't match up with everyone all the time. So like, or, or, or I don't have a mainstream sense of humor. So like they would send me to watch like a mainstream comedy and it's like, what do I even say? Like, <laughs> these jokes just don't work for me, but they might for you. You know, uh, it, it's a, it's a hard thing to weigh in on. And for the most part, I've enjoyed rec rap, but I am also eager to see this innocent child sail off into limbo and just to be a, a you know, a, a very faint footprint on, on the pages of the, the, somewhere. There's going to be a listicle of all time great Spider-Man villains who have had less comic appearances than rec rap. And, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe like 10 years ago, Mark, you would have written that. So um, Mark, uh, in regards to said list, I bet that list could be a, accumulated somewhere where might our listeners go to read some such thing uh well i mean of the many places hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of spider-man fans on our slack the amazing spider slack community is absolutely free to join and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting conventions movies new comics old comics listicles and more dan what's been going on in the slack this week well, Mark, I'm kind of reluctant to bring this up, but um, it was an interesting thing, and I'll mention it here, and maybe we'll talk about it more in the future. In regards to, like, you and I covered the Nick Spencer run, uh, the Slack has been talking a lot about how Dan Slott appeared in CBR forums, which, man, I would really encourage the guy to stop doing, but he released this information as, like, a like a declarative, I think, which I personally, I think, raised more questions but he let it slip that Nick Spencer had in fact been seeking to undo one more day, but that the editors never approved it, like from the get-go. They never approved it, period. Which, 
is something that personally I'm a bit dubious of for my own reasons and reasons that I think are apparent in the book itself. But uh, it's, it's made for an interesting conversation in the Slack. You know, one, if that is true, why would they play so loosely with this? And two, if it is true, you know, like, I mean, it just brings up so many questions um, rather than clarifying anything. I I personally think it's nice to read, you know, like uh, people weighing in on this who understand a full history of the character and uh, don't have a particular like agenda that they're trying to drive home. And we're just trying to understand what actually happened during the run that you and I covered so extensively. Uh, d- did you see this? I did not. I did not. I, well, you know me. I'm not on the Slack. I'm on the Slack like once or twice a month. Um, so I must have missed this conversation. But I, I also missed this whole conversation with Dan Slott. I mean, is this kind of like did this make it its way onto Twitter or something or like? Of course it did, Mark. Of course it did. Of course it yeah. Did. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I'm very rarely on that app now, too. So like I'm just I'm missing everything. But I mean, I, I I I share in my dubiousness not 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 what Nick Spencer's intent might have been, but that you know, I don't know that they would let someone write a book for three years and start putting the things into place even though they never approved it in the first place. That just I I I, I it, that's just challenging. But you know, then again, it's it's a wacky time in the spider office sometimes. So who knows? I mean, yeah, it's just, yeah. well, I mean, just another chapter in potentially like unveiling whatever happened during that run, uh, which I'm, you know, seems to be slowly, finally starting to leak out like more and more these days. So anyway, um, if you want to join in, um, on that, uh, uh, conversation to uncover Spider-Man history, there's no better place to do it than the slack. There's a link in the description of every episode of our show that you can click on. It'll take you right into the Slack. You can create a username for yourself. Come say hi, or maybe you uh, joined before and you become a lapsed user or never said hi. Come, come in. We love having new people in the Slack. I love it, Dan. All right. Well, let's get back to our issue conversation here. Why, why don't we, uh, so now we've, we've had three issues and, you know, it sounds like it's just going to be those three. I mean, putting aside what I said about Rec Rap earlier, I do think this is probably a one and done character. The Repossessor, you know, we kind of tied a bow on that whole saga and it's like, all right, so the, 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 the debt collector actually turned out to be a really crazy serial killer. And it's like, oh, I mean, could have just been a debt collector too. I, like, what? Do, I, I don't know. Like, what? What are we supposed to take from this? I don't know. Like, I. I mean, is the next thing we're going to find out that like, la- like landlord Miss Muggins was actually like mugging people, and you know, with your own superpowers, or like Lonesome Pincus is like a herald of Galactus? You know, like, I, I, I joke, but like. Those were as much as we make fun of like Lonesome Lonesome Pincus in the past, but like those characters were like real New York people that made Peter Parker's life rich. And the fact that they never crossed over into the superheroics, you know, other than maybe being potentially being victims of said superheroics is what made this book special. And, you know, it's not to say that Zeb, you know, hasn't done you know, other great stuff with non superpowered folks, but like 
as this book leans more in that direction, I do think it loses some of its identity. Like I'm okay with Randy dating a supervillain, but it's not something I feel like this title would have done 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Like the same is true with a character like the debt collector. Like comics have to find a way to introduce villains into these characters' lives. But I feel like in Peter's life, it's not often that like, some innocuous character just suddenly ends up being, you know, a, a like serial killer, super villain. M- maybe, maybe I'm just singling this out because for lack of other normal people in this run, make us Paul is fairly normal. I, I, you know, but even, but even that's an example, right? He used to be involved with a genocidal maniac from another dimension and he's from know? another universe and has no yeah i know i it, it, time will tell on that too dan so uh in terms of the normal i mean what what do you think is the rule around this like does the debt collector stand out as like an aberration or like they have to get villains from somewhere like dr octopus was a was a doctor at some point how do you feel about all this talking specifically about this character i mean like i know when they when he got turned by Madeline Pryor in Dark Web, they in, insinuated that there was something very dark and sinister about him. But like the fact of that, which, which for which I'll I'll comment on that. Madeline Pryor here says, "Oh, only Rec Rap is the one who could have like solved this and found this out about him." And it's like, wait a minute, Madeline Pryor, you were the one who mentioned it before. Right. Sorry, I, well, right. That doesn't make sense. Right. But. Well, I was just. I mean, I would also add that like. I know Madeline Pryor isn't exactly a uh, a, a, a paradigm of virtue here, but well, by, right. But, so there's but, that. But, yeah. But 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 it's also just like wow, like you 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 set this guy. You know, this is your deck. This is your your demon collector. This like sociopath. I, I mean, you know, you're trying to like make right by the city with this deal you struck with uh, Mayor <laughs> with Mayor Adams in New York. What strikes me as being kind of absurd here and and abnormal is the fact that, yeah, I mean, like in the context of how this character was introduced in Amazing Spider-Man, I mean, we had this, you know, this storyline running about, you know, Peter being so outrageously down on his luck that, you know, we had, you know, we, we got into the point where like we had a debt collector coming after him, which was kind of like, like that in and of itself was kind of ratcheting up the drama in Peter's life. I mean, you know, typically it's always like, Oh, Peter, you know, Peter, because of his Spider-Man antics can't pay the rent or, you know, like he blew up his apartment again or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, but like, Oh, but this time, like, you know, now he's, now he's really in hot water. He's got like, you know, someone coming after him, but like in a legal sense, you know, like I, yeah. Or, or, and, and, and like, I feel like that's, that's fine in of itself. Like, why did you have to kind of like, like sometimes like I know they say, Oh, good storytelling. You keep turning the screw. Like, no, like stop turning. Like they should have just stopped turning the screw there. I didn't need that. You know, like, like, and you know, there for, for all that we needed, there just could have been some other demon that Madeline sent out that turned out to be a really bad demon that wanted to kill Peter or kill Randy for some reason. And that would be fine. So like, I don't understand, you know, like this is, this is trying to, you know, put your chocolate and peanut butter together and it's not working in my opinion. Like I, I, I found, I found that like, yes, we, you know, all kidding aside, we knew this was what it was from the get go or you pointed it out. And I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But all the same, it was just like, very unnecessary and no i don't think this is like this is how you create new villains it's like no this is just silly in my opinion (laughs) 
Yeah, I mean, on that point, like, I think the problem with this one is that this character showed up in Peter's life like before he was like a like a like in a different context he was just a normal guy that uh uh so, like so, you know Peter bumped into and normally when Peter gets a new villain it's someone who has their like an an agenda like they they have a separate agenda that has nothing to do with Peter right this guy was coming after Peter right and now we learned to ostensibly murder him in his attic you know and like, that's not really typical. I mean, how often do you run into a serial killer in, in, in New York city? Like it, it, it seems like pretty far fetched. You're about to tell me otherwise. I, but, no, I, uh, I, 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 I try not to think about it, Dan. I mean, you know, it's yeah. someone, someone who goes into the city several days a week. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like, but if a member of Peter's cast, that's a normal person does get superpowers, it's usually through like, like one or two different ways. It's because of a choice that Peter makes that backfires and turns them into uh, something else that maybe accentuates their already kind of crap persona, but they're not like just like incidental, like, Oh, I happened to bump into like, like this guy's coming after Peter and he's a super villain already. Like, like th that, that is really the unusual and removes Peter from an everyman position, which is like, not the everyman doesn't deal with super villains or serial killers coming after them. And that's what I think makes this character stand out. And then you're right. The reveal is pointless and you know, it adds nothing to the story. And, and the way, you know, it adds nothing to the story is when Peter realizes it and then just beats him up anyway. Like it doesn't change how Peter acts. Like if he found out this guy was the debt collector and then was like, I don't like debt collectors. I mean, that would be the barest, you know, like, you know, minimum, but it doesn't even go that far. It's just like, oh, okay. We solved that mystery that I, I guess we Scooby-Dooed um, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he's disappeared by the end and made vague reference to, and it's like, you're right. It could have been any random demon. Like it's a mystery to have a mystery. And there you go. There you go. I mean, we solved it. All right. You did it. You did it, Dan. We go from one mystery to another mystery. This one, of course, related to the somber tone of the comic. Uh, the gang war part. What, what, so so where, where do you want to start with this gang war part? Because like, uh, you know, so uh, sausage making note. I know people like when we when I talk about the sausage making. But when in, in my original uh, recap, uh, when we got to the gang war section, Dan actually had to make some edits because I kind of misread what was going on, which is a, a note to say that like I actually found parts of this section to be a little confusing to read. Uh, and I mean, like, uh, like I, I, I got the gist of it, which is like Hammerhead is just pulling all these strings all over the place right now. But like, I, I, I do, I do worry a little bit in retrospect that if they're, if they're trying to, Zeb is trying to tell a very intricate, you know, this one's doing this to this one and this one and this one, and this one, that this is how it's coming across because it's, I, 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 Felt that some of the nuances were getting was getting really muddied, uh, especially in kind of the way this was crafted, which is like slamming all this together at the end of this comic. I don't know. What did, what did you think? Yeah, I largely agree, but I actually don't know that it's necessarily Zeb Wells is that that is confusing me. I, I think I think the page in particular where Hammerhead is going to all the different 
gang leaders is really interesting, interestingly constructed from a writing point of view, which is like, you don't ever know who he's talking to and all the conversations kind of blurred together and, and kind of remove hammerhead from this scenario, which is like what he wants to do. The problem is really, and you know, I, 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 I really love uh, Marcio Menez's colors. And so, you know, looking at this, my problem is really, with the colors. I think this is Eric Arseniega who did the colors in this backup and that all of those images have the same background coloring suggests they're all in the same place, which makes it confusing. It feels like he's talking to everybody. And I feel like it's something Marcio Menez wouldn't do in terms of like the storytelling element of that. And I don't know that like Zeb would spell that out in a script to say like, please make sure that these all read differently uh, and that's what confused me. I reread it actually and was like, oh, I see what's going on here. They're not at a meeting like we've seen before. It's all different locations. I, I think that's really on, on the art team and, and edit, editorial, you know, maybe should have caught it like as a sort of like, hey, how is a new reader going to approach this? How do we give them the most tools to be successful? The least it could have done yeah. was change uh, Hammerhead's sweatshirt color, right? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I got to say, in terms of clarity with the writing, I really like how, like, uh, my biggest concern was as they add more characters to this gang war, I'm not going to be able to keep up with all the intricacies of it. And I really felt like by the end of this story, it had like set up, okay, Silvermane and Count Nefaria. And you and I were like, oh my God, they're bringing in Count Nefaria and all these people. And by the end of this, it's like, no, we're going to collapse all of that, right? Which is like everybody that Hammerhead is dealing with, they're all just pawns to whatever he's doing. You know, like I think by this point, it seems fairly clear that Hammerhead is another agenda going on. You know, and so like the big players here seem to really just be Hammerhead and whoever this mysterious figure is at the end, which frankly could be the same team, you know, like we, we don't necessarily know. And so I found this kind of refreshing in that I'm like, okay, going into the gang war, I really kind of already know who the major players are I should really be p paying attention to. And I found that refreshing. I don't know if you feel the same way, but yeah, I, I I see what you're saying with in terms of the clarity here and like you know how these characters are kind of weaving in and weaving out. And and I I you know I I definitely give give credence to your viewpoint. Like you know the the issue I was having was more was more with the artwork rather than the actual writing. I I, I guess I'm 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 still just a little hesitant with how all of these character because like I, I'm, I'm gonna be totally real with you dan i mean like some of these characters like nefaria and even like the madam mask stuff and stuff like that like i'm just like i don't really follow these characters intently because i don't frankly think of them as as spider-man characters so like when, when when we're bringing this stuff in it's like okay I, I i think i understand the intricacies of of who's with who here but like you know it's a lot different when it's hammerhead tombstone and mr negative versus all these other characters which then brings us to like the big mystery villain at the end and you know like <laughs> i i had this one moment uh to be totally honest and you know this is this is about as far speculative as i'm gonna get here uh you can get much more uh because you know that's what you do dan we, we were talking about i don't know if it was last issue or the issue before like oh man wouldn't it just be great if 
Marvel finally remembered like Shocker's uh, agreement with Silvermane. Oh man, and, and, I would and, love that. And, and like I was like I was like ready to I was ready to believe when this all started happening. And then I was like, but I was like, it's a purple boot, and like it's not like Shocker has telekinetic powers. So like it's probably not. But like, what, so what do you think here, though, Dan? To your point about who's who, Marvel.com actually has a great article up right now that breaks down all the various gangs that exist before heading into gang war. So if you are confused, I would recommend you check that out. And again, my feeling is that like this is going to be largely cleaned up. You know, you're already seeing like Hammerhead putting down Mr. Negative's masks and killing vampires. It's like, I think they're going to wipe the floor with some of these lower level gangs pretty quickly and really have it be down to some Spider-Man villains. If if I had to guess in regards to the mystery character, let's just like talk about the purple boots for a second, because like which characters in Spider-Man's rogues gallery famously have purple boots, you know, green goblin comes to mind. Do I think they would pin the whole gang war on Green Goblin. I mean, frankly, Marvel will pin any storyline they can on the Green Goblin. If uh, for people who have been around in the nineties, you know, that that was the surprise last second twist villain of everything. And it does make sense here. If Norman is starting to get some of his Green Goblin personality back that, you know, the Green Goblin's original, you know, motive was mucking in gang wars. The, so the boots and then the line at the end where it says like uh, getting into a gang war sounds like fun does sound like something Green Goblin would say, you know, L- like like the chaos of it, the fun of it. Like, so, I mean, just on a like very basic level, that is the first thing that really comes to mind for me. So what do you think about that? I mean, still doesn't explain like how the attack on Silvermane went about because again, like it, it, right, it, it, that's uh, prior to him getting the sins back. Yeah, I mean, could could it be Mysterio? You know what I mean? Like I, I, I like I don't know. Like not that Mysterio necessarily is telekinetic, but he can make things look like it's happening. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's it's you know, but like I know Mysterio doesn't necessarily have purple boots, but he's got a purple motif. Maybe he got new boots. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> although you would think well, you'd I don't see a necessarily see. I didn't necessarily read this as telekinesis more than it was like a uh, his suit uh, malfunctioning. You know, and so like we saw him get the new armor, like the new body, just a couple issues ago. Like the question is, who made that then? You know, and. Like we've been seeing Norman tinkering away at things at Osborne. So like you, you could do that, you know, who is good at like rebuilding robots? Like, I, I don't know. I w- don't think this whole thing would be pinned on robot master. That would be, that will be for out of left field, especially since he's dead, you know, a, a, a comic book dead, you know, I, I don't know. Like would, would it, would it make more sense to treat Norman as uh, to, to treat goblin as, a mystery rogue here or, or is the, is the storyline in 
knowing it's Goblin and like, oh, like how how turned is Norman? Or and then you know playing with that, you know, subversing that. I don't know. Like I I, I guess like that's part of it too. It's just like I don't see what the storyline value is in if if you know in bringing in a new a new character on the field and and shrouded in mystery and then just being like, oh wait, no, it's it's green. I don't know. I. I I don't know. It seems too obvious to me. But then again, you know, sometimes the obvious answer is, you know, they try to make it unobvious by, you know, having to be Mason Banks uh, as Norman Osborn. So I don't know. (laughs) I mean, we, you know, in regards to the like who hired Shotgun, you know, we don't know that this character is that character, right? Like Shotgun implied that there's a new player on the field, right? But that could have been a separate thing, right? Like, I still think Hammerhead has his own thing going here. You know, like both Nefaria and Silvermane start their discussion as describing him as a loyal pawn, which is just about the greatest way to signal that someone is not going to be a loyal pawn, you know? And we get the reappearance of like Hammerhead's girlfriend, so to speak. Here, that kind of like quiet figure that was introduced at the wedding that I pointed out there, whether that's like Madame Mask or uh, Felicia in disguise or some new villain, it does seem like they are making a on-page appearances point to show us this character engage with Hammerhead. So like maybe Hammerhead is not, I mean, we know he's not the smartest guy on, on the planet and maybe couldn't pull off a coup like this, given that he woke up from a head injury and decided to reshape his personality off of a poster he saw, maybe that is the person whispering in his ear and helping him pull off what I think he's pulling off, which which I think is made very clear here. He is manipulating everybody to keep himself out of the fray. You know, like they all think he's his, their ally while he's turning them against each other. Have we seen Hammerhead have the intellect intellect to pull that off before? I don't think so. It, you know, and and this is clearly a male figure at the end of the book, and the girl that's with Hammerhead is obviously a woman. So they want you to think that's not the same person. It could be Chameleon. I mean, we don't know. Like Chameleon will be kind of a fun thing to give him a one up after he got that absolutely terrible storyline from Nick Spencer's run, which is better left like less said about my money right now would be on like, this is a separate character entering the fray and it's green goblin, but hammerhead and this woman are also pulling games, faking Madame masks, death, etc. which again, not confirmed, but I, I am heavily suspicious of. All right. I'm going to cut you off there. No more, no more. Please. That's all I have. Honestly, I don't know. And I'm not really all that like excited about speculating. Because I'm kind of excited to just let this play out. I, I think it's I think it's kind of been fun so far. So for yeah. sure. All right. Well, we'll get more more in a week, Dan. So what's your grade on this issue? I'm giving this one a C plus. I'm right there with you, sir. C plus for me. Yeah, a like very slightly above average comic. Yep. On that note, Dan, it's that time. Time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for turning for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. This podcast exists because of listener support on our Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, less than the cost of a new comic, I 
didn't think I would be saying that this soon, but there it is. Uh, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews the same week the comics release. So if you're listening to this and you're like, man, this would have been great to listen to when I first read the comic, Patreon, that's the answer. Plus, we give out exclusive artwork and a ton of other bonuses. So a thank you to everyone who already supports us and the work that we do. Plus, we wanted to extend a special thanks to our newest Patreon contributor, Austin Kamprowski. Awesome. Thank you, Austin. To download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like J.M. DeMatteis, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, David Michelinie, and many more, subscribe to our amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, this podcast was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Ryland Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and spider Madge, and our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe to our amazing Spider Talk Substack. Truly, Mark and I consider it the kind of B-side to uh, these episodes. It's, we're putting a lot of energy into this and really making it special. So if you haven't checked it out yet, I, I cannot encourage you enough to go check it out. Again, you can go to amazingspider.substack.com to subscribe. Mark, what things did we discuss on the, the Substack this week? Well, we talked about the new Peter Miles book, Spectacular Spider-Man, as well as also the debut trailer for Madam Web, whatever that was. And also my tale of my lost copy of Amazing Spider-Man number 300 and how it found its way back to me 30 years later. Lots of great stuff in the Substack. You really shouldn't miss it, folks. Awesome. So, Mark, until our podcast hosting provider turns out to have been a trap to lure us into the arms of a serial killing network of web gurus, what's our motto? With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next